All right, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the events of this past week in each of our individual lives and in the lives of our families because they have all led up to this point. You have crossed all of our paths at this moment in time, in this place, gathered together under your banner of love as brothers and sisters bought with the precious blood of Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is always timeless, always relevant, always challenging, always encouraging. It cuts us to the deepest level we can be cut and inserts the power of your word deep within us. Lord, we thank you that you are a loving and an active God. You are not content. It is never your mission to leave us where you found us. But you pick us up where you find us and you make us more and more into the image of your Son with each and every passing day. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. So Lord, I pray that you would bless this time that we have together. I pray that you would bless my mouth, that I would only say what you want me to say, nothing more, nothing less that your word and spirit would go forth. Lives would be touched. Lives would be changed. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Anyone here remember the Game Boy? Come on. Not just... Okay. There we go. A few more hands there. I had the original Game Boy, which I played all the time. But the Game Boy Color... How, who here remembers the Game Boy Color? All right, same guy in the back. All right, thanks, Brian. <laughs> the Game Boy Color, which came out when I had j just turned 12, was so much better compared to the original Game Boy. While the original had this light green screen and darker green shapes, the Game Boy Color displayed everything in, you guessed it, color. All different kinds of colors. I remember I saved up for one for the better part of the year. I saved up my allowance, my birthday money, Christmas money, every little penny I saved up for this thing. I even remember dreaming about it one night. I wanted it so badly. You think I haven't even heard of this thing. I finally got it the next summer. But since I spent all my money on the Game Boy Color itself, I had no money for any exclusively color games. Anybody who knows about video games knows that's the problem you run into. When you buy the system, now you have to have enough money for the games. All I could do with it, all I could play on it, were my old games for the original. And when I turned it on, it, it didn't really display everything in the, in the color that I wanted because it was playing the original games. And I remember feeling disappointed. I remember feeling let down. All the Game Boy Color could do with my old games was make them from one color to two colors. While this is only an illustration about a 12-year-old boy, most things in life that we plan on, more likely than not, right? I'm not the only person this happens to. Often do not play out the way that we plan them to. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. Things do not go according to our timetable. Things are not as impressive as we hyped them up in our minds to be. Things even go the opposite of what we've been hoping for. We lose things. We're left disappointed and disillusioned. We're discouraged. 
When things don't work out the way that we were dreaming for them to happen, instead of getting really upset, we have to realize that the way things are working out is exactly the way God is orchestrating them to be. That's what we always have to remember. We will see what the purpose of life, what this purpose in life is, and why that's encouraging and freeing. We'll get back into our 1 Corinthians series in a couple of weeks. Next Sunday will be our special VBS Sunday, like I said. And today, I wanted to talk about this all-too-real struggle that we all go through at different points in our lives. So the first point that we come to in our message today is the transition. In our passage today, now, you see, everything is set up for Joshua. Joshua, the stories about Joshua come about after the Israelites have been freed from slavery out of Egypt. Moses, the ten plagues, the opening of the Red Sea, all of that. Joshua comes after all of that. Previous to the Israelites in Egypt, there's something that happens. There's a story that happens, a record that happens, that leads to the Israelites being in Egypt in the first place that Pharaoh then uh, uh, puts them into slavery. And so we're going to see the story, the, the record that leads up to why the Israelites were in Egypt in the first place, which Moses then had to free them, all that stuff having to do with the Exodus, which leads to Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land. In our passage today, this morning, there's a man named Jacob. Jacob was a man who had 12 sons. That's a lot of kids. One daughter that we know of. There could have been more daughters. So we know he had at least 13 kids. He finally meets up with one of his sons named Joseph. Jacob thought Joseph had been dead for 20 years. It's been two decades since Jacob has found out anything about his son Joseph. He thought he's been dead for two decades. He's made the decision, Jacob has made the decision to leave the land of Canaan, the land God promised to his ancestors as he felt it was what God wanted him to do, and he's making the journey down to Egypt, where his son, it turns out, Joseph, is now ruling as governor. That's a whole other story. Joseph is now ruling as governor, second only to the king of Egypt or Pharaoh himself. So, if you brought your Bible with you, turn to Genesis 46. If you didn't, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to Genesis 46. The very first book in the Bible should be pretty easy to, to locate. Genesis 46, and we're going to start in verses 5 through 7. These are our verses that we read for our scripture reading. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives and the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. So after a pit stop in Beersheba to worship God, Jacob and his entire family continue on to Egypt. Throughout the whole book of Genesis, there are breaks between stories. There are breaks between things. And if you see, that, if you'll notice this, when you read through Genesis, there are lists 
of names of people. And these lists are transitions. That's what our, our point, why our point is that. These lists are transitions from either one time period to the next, from one story to the next, from one focus on a specific person or family to the next person. They serve as transitions. The purpose of these name lists is both informative for the ancestors of the nations of Israel, and also serves as a transitional marker from either one story to another, or in this case, one stage of a family transitioning to another stage in this family's life. Here, specifically, it's the transition from the family that God has made a promise to, living in the promised land of Canaan, to that same family now living down in Egypt. That's the transition. This is a pretty big transition because Jacob's grandfather Abraham the one to whom God originally made the promise wandered around Canaan then Jacob's father Isaac the one to whom the promise was passed on wandered around Canaan and then Jacob was brought back to Canaan by God and the promise was reinstated to Jacob that Canaan was their family's promised homeland that was where they were supposed to be but now, the entire family, as we can plainly see from chapter 46, 6, all his descendants with him is uprooting from Canaan and replanting themselves in the region of Egypt. They're not even leaving anyone behind to safeguard the promise. Why in the world would Jacob do this? And what does this show to us? Jake, what this shows to us is Jacob is completely trusting that God will bring his descendants back to Canaan someday. Now from verses 8 through 26, we're not going to read all these, don't worry. From verses 8 through 26, what I want you to do is skim through these names. Some may look familiar to you. You may have read other stories about them as you've read through the Bible. Some are not quite as familiar. But as you look down through this list of names, from verse 1 through verse 26, there are some that turned out the way Jacob wanted them to, and there are some that didn't. Joseph's sons, which Jacob hasn't met yet, are most likely turning out well because Joseph would have been teaching them about God. As you look through this list, Judah's first two sons... On the other hand, you can read about in Genesis 38, were so evil that God killed them for the sake of the rest of humanity. <laughs> what a reputation to have, huh? And his last two sons, you can also read about in Genesis 38, were born out of Judah sleeping with who he thought was a prostitute, but really turned out to be his daughter-in-law. I'm sure Jacob was not too keen on that whole thing. Sometimes your kids don't turn out the way you wanted them to. It's a truth about life. Sometimes your kids don't turn out the way you wanted them to. I mean, Judah's last two kids are an extreme example. But still, sometimes your kids do not turn out the way that you wanted them to. The important thing is to never give up on them. Keep praying for them. Keep leading by example. Keep always being there to talk with them. I heard an account years ago about a woman who was 101 at the time of this interview, 
but who did not give her life to God through Jesus Christ until she was 86. Now to 101 person, 86 is pretty young, right? 86. That was 86 years of people praying that she would realize that she needed Jesus to save her. 86 years. In Jacob's family, Jacob probably never thought that his son Judah would ever change, would ever do the right thing. And as you read through the book of Genesis, you'll see what I'm talking about. But over time, as you read through the book of Genesis, Judah's heart eventually was changed. As you read through the book of Genesis, Judah's heart eventually was changed. Maybe God has a longer road to him for your child. Maybe it'll be 86 years. Maybe God has a lot more life experiences for your child to endure in order to make them trust him. We're not God. We don't know. Meanwhile, you can keep praying. You can keep asking God to save your child and to turn your child around. Remember, nothing, as we look at these walls here, nothing is impossible with God. That's one of the amazing things about these great stories of real people living real life with real faith in real God in the Old Testament. If you find it hard to read the Bible, say, I, I find it hard to understand. If you find it hard to read the Bible, start with something a little more simple. The accounts of Jesus in the four Gospels, the Psalms were these great stories in the Old Testament about real people living real life with real faith in the real God. So we have the transition, this list of names here. And sometimes it'll take a longer time for God to put your kid on the right path. But nothing is impossible with God. Secondly, we have the orchestration. We end this transitional list with verse 27. We'll read that. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. This is what I want to focus on. All the persons in the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were 70. Keep that number in your head. Look at that. We only have about 70 people in Jacob's family right now. Why is that important? Compare that with what God originally promised to Abraham. What did God originally promise to Abraham? I will make you into a great nation. And then later, I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Well, we see here that 70 people most definitely can be counted. Can't they be? Since then, since this promise was given, it's been over 200 years. And it's still only 70 people. That doesn't sound like much of a nation of people to me, does it? Abraham never saw a nation of people. Isaac never saw a nation of people. And now Jacob is not seeing a nation of people. My point is this. It's okay when you don't see God doing anything. It's okay. It's okay when you don't see God moving. Why? Why? Because God does not work on your timetable. You might think you need something right now, and you have every right to think that. But if you don't have what you need right now, it's that it's not time yet. 
Rest assured, Jesus says that your heavenly Father knows what you need before you even ask him. But that does not mean you have any say in when it happens. Because, again, while God will provide what you need, what's most important to him is your spiritual growth. What's most important to God is that you're being stretched and that your faith is deepening. Contrary to popular belief, it is not God's mission that you feel good and you feel happy and you have a good life all the time. That is not God's mission. So when things seem to be going wrong, that has nothing to do with, oh, why would a good God do that? That has nothing to do with that. Because God's mission has always been for us to grow, for us to be stretched, and for our faith to deepen. And most often, that happens through what? Family? Trials. Troubles. Events that force you to your knees to cry out to him for his strength. That is when God's mission is being met. God's goal is is being met. After all, the Apostle James says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So, don't try to stop it from growing. Don't try to run away from it. Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And that's not saying that we'll ever, ever be perfect in this life, but this is the marker, the image of Christ, the fullness of Christ that God is leading us to. If you're living for God, just because something is not happening on your timetable does not mean that it's not going to happen at all or that you're cursed by God. Endurance takes time, right? Endurance takes time. Maybe the part of the reason your child is not on the right path is because God wants to grow your prayer life. Maybe you're going through rough financial difficulties because God wants you to put all your trust in Him for His provision. Maybe you still have that health issue because God wants you to put all your reliance upon His strength and His plan for you in that health issue. Waiting on, let's just be honest, waiting on God's timing and God's plan is very difficult. Let's just be honest about this. It's very difficult sometimes to trust God when all you see is everything going badly. But again, what is most important to God for you? Your growth. That is what is most important to God for you. In talking about how God has equipped the church for those who make up the church, Paul says this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That's God's goal for us as individual believers and us as a church. Let's follow that line of thinking then. Since God's goal for each and every one of us and for this church is spiritual maturity, what illustration is used more often than not in the Bible for growth? A tree, right? That's the image used more often than not in the Bible for growth. A tree firmly planted, 
receiving good nutrients, and the goal of that tree is to bear much fruit. The Bible verse listed on the front of your bulletin today. Go ahead and take a look at that. What verse is listed there? Psalm 1-3. The, the verse listed on your bulletin today says exactly that. We read all the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. There's different fruit that's born in different seasons. Our life is made up of different seasons. That's the way it's supposed to be. And there's different fruit that's born in each and every one of those different seasons. But their leaves will never wither and they prosper in all they do. So again, let's follow that. If the illustration for believers in Jesus Christ is to be a tree bearing much fruit for God's kingdom, what does that actually mean in our lives? What does that fruit look like? Well, God also tells us plainly the answer to that in Galatians. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does the world look like any of those things? Quite the opposite. That is why it is fruit that is grown in us and can only be grown in us by the Holy Spirit. The world cannot give it to us. We cannot manufacture it. It can only be grown in us by the Holy Spirit. Jacob needed to wait 20 years thinking his son was dead all that time before he could see him again. Abraham and Sarah needed to wait their entire lives for a child. The prophet Simeon had to wait his entire life before he could see the Messiah. A man who couldn't walk had to wait decades until Jesus healed him. A man who was blind had to wait decades until Jesus healed him. The New Testament, the four Gospels, all kinds of people had to wait years until Jesus met them and healed them. In all these cases and many, many more, these people had to wait years and years and years until God brought them their heart's desires. It's the exact same for any one of us. It's the exact same for you. Because while the waiting is happening, this is why, while the waiting is happening, God is doing a better work in you than if you did not have to wait. If you haven't been paying attention, if you haven't been paying attention this entire time, all morning, pay attention to this one statement. While you are waiting on God, He is doing a better work in you than if you didn't have to wait. As Galatians says, God is growing love in you in the midst of a past full of hate and mistrust. 
He's growing joy in you in the midst of suffering. He's growing peace in you in the middle of debilitating anxiety. He's growing patience in you while you wait on Him. He's growing kindness in you out of selfishness. He's growing goodness in you out of pride and self-centeredness. He's growing faithfulness in you out of a humanity that doesn't want to commit to anything. He's growing gentleness in you out of a past filled with hard-heartedness and being mean. And he's growing self-control in you in the middle of that raging temptation and breaking those chains of addiction. He's doing all of that in you right now. All of this is happening while everything else seems to be going terribly wrong. Everything seemed to be going terribly wrong for Jacob. He still mourned for his beloved son, whom he thought he had lost 20 years before that. His daughter had been sexually assaulted. His sons were renowned in the ancient world for their violence and wickedness. And now a famine has destroyed all of his crops, and he has no idea how much longer it will last. But all this time, God was growing him, and God was growing his sons. And it only took one piece of news from his sons that Joseph was still alive to fan the flame of joy in his heart once more. But it took time. It took years. Finally, the time for reunion had come. Verses 28 through 30. Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel, Jacob. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel sent to jo said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I've seen your face, that you are still alive. If you want to talk about Joseph waiting and growing and going through difficult life experiences to get to where God has him now, that's a whole other story. That's a whole other message. You can read about it in Genesis. In a very brief summary, the last time Joseph saw his father was when he was 17. He was a teenager, 17, when his father sent him to check up on his older brothers, what they were up to, and his own brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt. He was just a teenager. He was 17. Joseph went through enslavement, abuse, and imprisonment for something he didn't even do. Now it's 20 years later, and Joseph can finally hug his beloved father. We can see, you see it, you can see the emotion here. Joseph hugs his father for a long time. He doesn't want to lose his father again. He wants that moment to last forever because he doesn't know how much longer his father has to live. Jacob also overflows with joy. Verse 30. Then Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, that you are still alive. In fact, Jacob is so overwhelmed at this point, he is convinced that nothing in his life will make him feel as joyous as he does right in this moment, that he declares that he is now ready to die. This was Jacob's hope. He knew that life would bring more hardship. And in a very real human sense, he knew he would never be as joyful as he was at that moment. At his highest point in his life, Jacob now wants to leave it like that and depart from this world. 
You might say, yeah, but doesn't Jacob want more time to spend with Joseph and get to know his grandsons from Joseph better? Yes, but we also have to remember that Jacob is a very old man at this point. He has lots of pain. The last 20 years have been very rough on him, emotionally and physically. They've taken their toll on him. He wants to suffer no more, and there doesn't seem to be a better time to leave this world and its pain behind than at this very moment when he's hugging his son. But that wasn't God's plan for Jacob. Jacob had a desire. Jacob wanted to say, I'm done. Uh, this, nothing in earth will ever be as joyful as this. I can go now. But that wasn't God's plan. Jacob lives for another 17 years in Egypt before he dies. God's timetable, once again, was not the same as his child's or any one of ours. So we have the transition, we have the orchestration, lastly we have the provision. We don't know what Jacob's other sons were thinking about their future. It doesn't, the scripture doesn't say. They knew they all needed to leave Canaan, but they had no idea what awaited them in Egypt. On one of their previous visits, they ate lunch with the Egyptian governor, whom they didn't know was Joseph, who sat them separately from the other Egyptians for the blatant discriminatory fact that Egyptians despised Hebrews. That discrimination could rise its ugly head very powerfully in what Jacob's son's future occupation might be, being shepherds. They may have been wondering, will we even stay as shepherds? Will we have to learn a new trade? Will we be treated fairly and given fair wages? How will this affect our families? These are all very real questions. These are all very real concerns. This move from Canaan to Egypt was completely life-changing for them. Some of Jacob's sons were now pretty old themselves now. They just assumed that they would be given what was due to them in inheritance and remain in Canaan. That's what they had been thinking for years up to this point. But where was God settling them now? Not Canaan. Egypt. Now everything for them is in upheaval, and these men have no idea what the future holds for them. You know what? Some of you sitting here today might be in that boat. You've been doing the same thing for years, but then you lose your job. You've been caring for children for years, but now they're all grown up. It could be another situation where you feel like you're in an upheaval. Everything is different. Everything is changed. As with everything, we've, everything else we've talked about this morning, things in this life are often disappointing. But that does not mean they're bad for you. They could be disappointing, but that doesn't mean they're bad for you. This is just a new phase in your life. We read about that in Psalm 1-3. Each and every different season. This is the start of a new season for you. A new phase. God has new plans for you. Is it uncomfortable? Yes. Does it wound your pride? Yes. Would you rather things go back to the way they were before? Of course. Is it scary? No doubt. But, Will God take care of you? Absolutely. Will God let you go hungry or unclothed or friendless or shelterless? Of course not. Absolutely not. 
This situation you're in is scary. But that's because it's supposed to be. It's scary because that's what it's supposed to be. Remember, God's goal for you is to grow. You will definitely grow from this experience. Your faith will deepen. Your trust in God will get bigger. And you know what? Your joy will increase. Your peace will increase. Your love will increase. And all that while, God will meet your needs. So is this scary? Yes. But is it exciting? Yes. In the case of Joseph's brothers, God already had a plan set in motion, verses 31 through 34. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. See, Joseph turned that known discrimination around and used it to their advantage. God does not let Jacob's family be oppressed by this cultural discrimination. He uses it to actually raise them above it and protect them. God lets Jacob's sons remain shepherds, but in a much better grazing area. Why? Because similar to the Abrahamic family's marriage custom so far, it being forbidden to marry one of the unbelieving people outside of the family for precaution against the relationship of promise God made to Abraham, being completely swallowed up by the surrounding people group's religions, Joseph did not want the paganism and wickedness of Egypt to swallow up the promise God had made to his family. Joseph wanted to keep his family separate from the hub of Egypt and have them live on the outskirts of greater Egypt, known as Goshen. Goshen, a pasture-filled area that was close enough to be under the protection and provision of Egypt, but far enough away where the open discrimination and bad influences of Egypt would not affect them too much. There are a lot of things that happen in this life that are disappointing. While that's part of this fallen world, we serve a God that is way bigger and way greater than this world. He is the one working all things out for good and for your growth. He's the one doing that. He is the one with the plan that you don't know. He's the one with the plan that you don't know. He's the one who powerfully sets things in motion in his timing. He's the one that you can trust. Let this be a source of encouragement to you. 1 John 4, 4 says, The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who lives in you, is greater than the Spirit who lives in this world. That Spirit is no match. Our enemy is no match for us because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. God is greater than your darkness. God is greater than your depression. God is greater than your broken dreams. He's greater than your disappointments. He's greater than your shortcomings. He's greater than your desires. He's greater than your family. And he's greater than yourself. 
put your faith and trust in God, His plan and His timing. Don't let the disappointments of this world suppress and oppress you. Let the power of the one who is growing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control be your focal point. Set your mind, as Paul tells the Colossians, on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Don't be afraid of anything in this world because God is already taking care of it. Our missionary speaker last week used this passage, one of my favorite passages, which I want to close out our time with. And what I want to do is I want us to all stand up and read this out loud together. And let these words flood your soul, encourage you, and give you the strength you need from, that comes from the power of the word of God as you go out from this place today. Let's read all along together. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us? If we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its words of power. We thank you for what it breathes into us. It breathes strength and hope and comfort and power into our lives. Let us walk out from this place filled with the power of God, ready to take on anything the enemy or this world has to throw at us because our God is bigger than the spirit of this world. Let us go forth in that courage, in that peace, and in that strength. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't have to tell you to stand up. You're right. We're going to close out our time this morning.